Coyote Edelstein here, your celeb expert and your celeb savant. Celeb Savant is a weekly entertainment show. We have long-form career retrospective type interviews with celebrities, singers, actors, and industry experts. Gabriella Chilmi is an Australian pop singer who is known for a distinctive raspy singing voice. Her debut album, Lessons to be Learned, was released in March 2008, becoming an international success, winning six ARIA Music Awards, including Single of the Year and Best Female Artist. Her second studio album, Ten, was released in March 2010. Her third studio album, The Sting, was released in November 2013. In November 2019, Chilmi released a new six-track EP called The Water. Gabriella consistently releases successful new music and tours the world. Up next on Celeb Savant, we've got Gabriella Chilmi. Where do we find you in the world? How are you doing and what's happening in your life? So I'm in London at the minute. This is probably like my 11th year here, maybe 12th. I can't I can't count. can't work it out exactly. But yeah, I'm just chilling at home today. My mom's over from Australia. So we're probably going to do some random touristy things. So what was the inspiration or motivation behind moving to the UK? So initially I got signed to Australia, uh, Mushroom Records in Australia, and they kind of, cut a long story short, on-sold me to Island Records in the UK. Okay. So I ended up here when I was about 15, actually, and I recorded my first record here too. And then I just stayed. Seeing we on this part of the conversation, let's rewind. So we mentioned that your first record is 15, but at what age was it that you decided, cool, in my mind, I want to be in the music industry and be in the entertainment world. And let's unpack the Gabriella's entertainment journey or music journey up to the present time. God, if we start right at the beginning. Yes. Um, so my parents, always, they always loved music. They weren't musicians themselves. Like my dad mm. bought a piano. I think he found an old piano and he thought, I'm going to bring it back to the house. I, I, I did go to piano lessons, but the piano teacher told me I had no musicality and I should burn my piano books. Oh, wow. Uh, okay. Which is interesting. But I just kind of always used to sing, sing around the house, sing around my next door neighbors. Um, I actually had a next door neighbor who used to, he used to train birds, like in, and you know, I don't know what they call that. What's the, and he used to, um, when they used to do patterns in the sky, he would okay. have like all these pigeons. And then, <laughs> so they were like my first audience, um, the pigeons. And yeah, I always used to sing. Uh, used to, my family are Italian backgrounds. So we used to sing at like Italian festivals and stuff okay. like that. Eventually, somebody heard me singing and I sang on this show called The Good Friday Appeal in Australia, which was on TV. And I was 10. And that's kind of how it started for me. Some, somebody spotted me, ended up recording demos. It's just very strange. I don't know how it all happened. I didn't really chase it. It kind yes. of happened. Understood, yeah. And all of a sudden, I was kind of signed and I was at, at 13, I got signed to Mushroom Records. And that's kind of how it began for me, really. I don't think I ever had the time to sit and think. I always knew I wanted to, I wanted to sing and I wanted to be a musician. You know, I remember listening to my mum playing, you know, Tina Turner records when she was mm. produced by Phil Spector and, uh, even Janis Joplin and mm. these kind of female, soulful rock rock and roll singers really mm. <laughs> there was just always this affinity there with music this deep deep love and just like interest in it 
it was just always part of me. So I never really questioned it too much. When you got signed, did you ever see that uh, piano teacher again to say, ha-ha, sorry for you? <laughs> no, I never I never ever saw her again. I just remember she had like these flaming red hair. Yes. Um, and she she really terrified me because um, she was one of those really strict piano teachers. Yes. Scary, scary. But uh, no, I never saw her again. So now let's unpack. So you were signed at 13. You released your first record at 15. So let's fill in the gaps from that to where we are currently. So what happened after that? So, yeah, I was signed to um, to Island Records in the mm-hmm. UK. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was connected by my management at the time with a man called Brian Higgins. And he produced a lot of, you know, big pop records here in the UK, like Sugar Babes, Girls yes. Aloud, for instance. He actually is probably most famous for co-writing Believe by Cher, oh, okay. uh, which yes. is Cher. I love Cher. I mean, yes. who doesn't love Cher? Exactly. But um, obviously a great songwriter. And um, at the time, so I was like 13 and I was after school jamming with my mates in the garage playing like things of Leon covers or Jet covers. And it was funny because we clashed at first because I'm like, I don't want to make a pop record. Oh, I'm not sure about this. I'm not sure about this. But we ended up you know, having this mutual love for, you know, records from, you know, Phil Spector records for inter- um, for instance, and, you know, music from the 60s and 70s. And we, we kind of, um, yeah, formed a bond over, over that. And it, yeah, we collaborated and he was very much being at, you know, having a, what was it? It was kind of like going to school and learning how to write a song, craft a song. Cause okay. really, I mean, before that, I was, you know, composing my own songs at home, like singing them in the, I remember singing them in the girls' toilets and putting on like a mini concert with my friend who was a boy at the time. And he would go, we were only like at school, really young, and we'd sing songs in the girls' toilets for people. But, you know, it was really, um, and Miranda Cooper, who was his partner, also worked closely with her. And it was really, it was really intense, actually, really mm. intense situation for a girl. So it went from when I was about 13 to 15, I was, that's when I was on my school holidays, I'd fly to the UK, make this record in this massive home, this English like estate home in the country, which actually belonged to Alice Liddell, who Lewis Carroll based Alice in Wonderland off this, this real life oh, girl. Wow. Okay. And this was her actual home. So, you know, I come from like the burbs in Dandenong in um, Melbourne, which is kind of like, you know, real, like, just, I don't know how you can describe it, but it's completely different to, you know, it's kind of posh English, like old English town where yeah. uh, I was recording it. But, um, so I do that on my school holidays and I wouldn't tell anyone. I just say, oh, you know, we're just going on holidays, Queensland with my family. Cause my dad was always like, well, you're not sure whether this is going to work out. So we yeah, have to do that. And then I guess I'm at the stage where, we released Sweet About Me, which was the first single. And initially, actually, radio didn't pick it up. And it was quite a slow burner. I, and then I performed on Jules Holland. And it kind of, I guess that was one of the catalysts for it all kicking off. You know, back then, back in the days. <laughs> yeah, had, yeah, yeah. No, back in the day. We had CDs, vinyls, cassettes. Now, I love me a CD. I love the mm-hmm. unpacking of it. I still buy budget for my CD every month. For me, it's a grateful or a thank you to for energy exchange to you guys for all the hard work and energy you put into your work. Now, I'm so excited that CDs, cassettes, and vinyls are making a massive um, comeback. 
But we've also got these digital streaming platforms that people mm. are now consuming music on. What are your thoughts around physical and digital and which do you prefer? I mean, I prefer the physical mm. act of like buying a record, you know, buying vinyl, especially going, to, you know, unwrapping it, looking at the artwork and treasuring it like that. And also the experience of listening to a record on vinyl or just, it just sounds better to me. I think like the landscape of how we consume music has changed so much. I was right at the end of that whole thing. Actually, the last single, I don't know whether this is like a cool claim to fame or not, but the last single um, that was ever produced in the UK, uh, maybe not now, maybe they started to do it again, but was um, On a Mission, which is one of my singles later on. You know, I find that aspect of it sad, but I also like love listening, love being able to just take my phone. Well, no, I used to have an iPod full of music, but that's not the case anymore. Yeah. And just going on Spotify and listening to all my favorite um records like that i've got everything in one place um it's kind of great that artists have control over you know if you're a new artist have control over the way you um get your music out there and all that stuff that's a great element of it that you can self-release and do all that and anybody can do it it's also becomes really saturated Mm. as well you know it's it's almost harder to get yourself out there but um i'm a record girl like through and through from zero to a three to four minute song, mm. your creative journey. So is it easy every time when you're writing, what motivates it, what inspires it? Is Has it changed over the years? Let's dive into your creative process world. So it's definitely changed over the years. Actually, when I was writing with, with Brian and especially for the first record, a lot of it was written by loops. So almost like you would say, start a hip hop track mm. and there would be like, you know, a loop. So, you know, like, maybe four bars of the same thing. And I would write loads of melodies on top of it, just loads of melodies and lyric it all and sing them all down and then almost piece it together like a scrapbook song kind of thing. You know, you put this there. Oh, that sounds like that could be a cool chorus or that. These days, ideas usually start off on guitar. Um, Like I'll be sitting down, um, come up with a little idea. Oh, that sounds all right. And then, I don't know. Sometimes it, it's inspiration comes from different places and it's not always the same. And I'm not one of those people who treats it like a sport. Mm. I think some people can get up and write, you know, a song a day. Yes. Um, I think I need to have that trigger of inspiration, but that doesn't mean that you can't go hunting for inspiration. I think that's important to set aside time to, to do that, to immerse yourself in new music or art or reading or or anything that can like trigger that that spark. But yeah, it goes through stages. And these days, do you write with other collaborators or are you writing by yourself? So usually like I'll start off an idea myself or I'll, yeah, collaborate with people. I love collaborating. Um, it's really inspiring working with other people. And my first instrument is my voice. So especially when somebody is, you know, a great piano player in particular, Maybe I slightly regret not, not paying attention to my piano teacher. Um, but you know, they'll, they'll take the music to places where I wouldn't take it. And, uh, that to me is really inspiring. You know, I write a lot with my brother. I've been working with these guys in Glasgow recently. So yeah, I collaborate quite a lot and it's just different for every song. Uh, what's the plan moving forward? Do you have any new body of work or new music coming out? At the minute, I am. Um, 
gearing up to release something new. I've actually, you know, I've recorded like full EPs and then thought, mm, no, not a good idea. And then not quite felt that it was in the right place. You know, I've been in the process of like gathering songs. And now I think I finally getting to the stage where I'm, I'm getting to record them, proper record them, yes. as opposed to moving them, moving them from the demo stage to you know, full-blown kind of record thing. Are those the same songs that you thought that they weren't in the right place that you're just tweaking or is it different songs? No, these are these different songs. Okay. When you heard those EPs or those songs that you recorded and you felt Mm-mm, doesn't connect or doesn't resonate, what is it for you? Is it a feeling? Is it your mind? Is it your heart all combined that says, mm, this doesn't feel right? Yeah, I think it's in. It's just a gut feeling. And okay. like you said, like your head, your heart and your gut all have to like marry up. And yes. if it's something that you're going to you're gonna send out into the world, I want to feel like I'm 100% behind it. Sometimes you live with these songs for such a long time. You want to make sure, you know, without being overly critical of yourself, it's just got to, you know, it doesn't have to be perfection. It's just going to be, you just got to love it. You gotta love eat the songs like you love humans, like you yes, love your exactly. bad friends and family. No, I've got, okay. I completely understood, but it's like it's a child, sort of <laughs> form of a child. So to yeah, speak. it's like a child, and then sometimes it's it's a whole process, like you know, writing. Sometimes you gotta kill your babies <laughs> because <laughs> yeah. you know they're not moving forward. Like I mean, it's 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 not like life in that sense, but it's, yeah, um, yeah, it's yeah, it's it's you get really attached. to sometimes to things and then yeah, it's, it's a whole thing performing live for you what do you enjoy about that connection with people like that's okay. my favorite favorite thing i think um and i love playing with other people like mm. musicians you become really close to the people that are in your band and that's kind of where the electricity comes from and it's that driving force that i think for me that wants me to continue to create, to create records. And um, yeah, initially it was really scary for me to be seen on stage. And I think a lot of people have that feeling of being seen is, is scary. And it t- took me a while to get into, it took me like over a hundred of gigs or so to be okay. able to like feel com- comfortable. And now I just in that stage where I really love it and I miss it because I've been away from, you know, performing for a while. I haven't yeah. released, you know, material recently. So yeah, playing a few fest. I got a few festivals coming up, and that will be really, really fun. You mentioned connection, and I, I often bring this up with other artists I've interviewed. So I'm that guy, like I said earlier when we first uh, chatted, when we first came online, who's always in front, loving the show, enjoying it, and I find that everyone around me has got their cell phones out, trying to get the perfect picture, perfect videos, tweeting, threading, posting, <laughs> whatever they're doing, and. From the person on the receiving end on the stage seeing a bunch of phones, do mm. you find that disrupts the connection or is just where society is at at the moment? I mean, I don't think we're going to change it. I don't yeah. think we all – I remember when Prince did his series of concerts in the um, in the UK, you weren't allowed to bring your phone in. I mean, sometimes – I remember I went to see Patti Smith and I was like, I just left my phone in my bag because at first I got to Albert Hall and I was like, I had my phone out and I was taking pictures. I'm like, why am I doing this? I'm probably not really going to look back on it. And then I won't, I won't be able to soak up the atmosphere and experience Mm. of it all. Yeah. I didn't really, I don't really notice it too much, to be honest, but 
I would recommend like locking up your phone yeah. and leaving it at home. So for me, since doing the Celebs Line podcast and doing the work for that, yeah. that's now I'm only was like, I have to do some posts on that for the podcast and, you know, the concerts I'm at. So I'll take a couple of videos, take a couple of shots, but then the phone gets into pockets. I'm like, okay, it's enough now. Let's be in the moment. Let's just carry on and enjoy. So that, that's-, See, that's a reasonable, that's a reasonable rule. Like if you're on your phone the whole time, but if you're going to take a few shots at the start, yeah, for memories and to share. Yeah. And especially if you're seeing like a great new band and like you want to share it with your mates and stuff, mm. you know, it's take a little video and then put it in your pocket because you're going to regret not having, you know, when we're on our phones, I don't think you can fully immerse yourself and remember the experience. Yeah. Like I don't think. You can take in, you can, your senses become kind of, they dull down when you're looking at things through the phone. It's just I mean, so it, much better to experience. Yeah. Exactly. Like you're standing right in front, the person yourself, whomever the artist is, is right there, They're like 10 feet away or however feet away. And now you're looking at the person through a phone or through a screen that is the size of the phone. You might as well be at home watching mm. it on TV, <laughs> watching it, you know, so. Exactly. Exactly. So. <laughs> You know, and I think that you've paid money to go see an artist or go to a festival. You mm. might as well get that full, like, exchange of energy. The difference between performing sort of your own headlining shows and performing mm. at a festival, what is that difference for you? Do you prefer either or? you equally enjoy both? Yeah, I, I, I like both for different reasons. I think, you know, it's your own shows. They're kind of, you know, people who know and love your songs. But yes. festivals... Yeah, I've had some really great memories of festivals. I remember playing um, Team the Park, a festival up in Scotland, and it was really early on and I didn't know whether anyone would come to, to watch me or, yeah, I just didn't think anybody would turn up. And so mm. a few minutes before the gig, I looked out and I didn't really seem to be anybody there. So I went back in, uh, you know, backstage and like, you know, had a cup of tea. And then when I came out, it was like full and I just wasn't expecting it. And the crowd was so warm and crowds up in Scotland are really, they're kind of really rowdy and cool. Yeah. And, um, you know, it was a bit of banter back and forth. Yes. And I just had like the best time and it was the best memory. So I love festivals for that reason. You don't know what to expect. Also, you know? And also there'll be people there that aren't necessarily, don't necessarily know your music or your uh, body of work. So it's a chance to like, okay, let's get some new fans on board. <laughs> Exactly, like exactly. Um, you mentioned that it took you a while to gain the confidence for live shows. So, was that just experience, or did you go through any other sort of tools to allow yourself to build that up? That was just, I think that was just experience. Okay. You know, I was like, it just takes time to get used to it because yes, when you're putting, I don't think I am a natural like what's the word when people say like they're an they're an extrovert or something yes i don't know if i'm like an introverted extrovert or extroverted yeah. introvert or mm-hmm. one or the other yeah. but i was always really shy like i was always and i would get really nervous that i, I remember for like a long period of time i was nervous i was going to like say something like in the middle of my of the gig like just say something ridiculous yes like a swear word. I remember yes. when I was really young, I was like, what if I get on stage and I just like all of a sudden just swear in the middle of my song or something? You know, it was getting over those kind of fears. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I think, and also being hung up on things being perfect, especially okay. when you play festivals, you don't necessarily have a sound check. You know, it's not your normal sound guy. Yes. Um, you know, so you it's uncomfortable in that sense, but you got to just let go a bit. And also, it sounds like it was a lot of mind talk and letting a letting a 
go of a lot of that mind talk to like, okay, shut up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, I did start so really young and, yes. you know, in hindsight, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change anything because this is yes. my journey and this is how it happened for me. Mm. But if I was to advise somebody else or another young artist who was starting out that young, you know, I would encourage them, you know, to take the time to really figure yourself out a bit more. I mean, yeah. never, not that you ever really have it all figured out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's good to have a strong sense of self when you, when you do this kind of yeah. thing. Because there's going to be a lot of people around you that tell you who they think you are, which is hard to do for, you know, I was a kid and then a teenager. That's the trickiest kind of time when you're figuring shit out, really, you know. Yeah. And absolutely, Dana, it's, I'm sure it's, it was easier then. Social media wasn't really prevalent compared to like the teens that are coming up now with, you know, all these comments and all this bombardment, bombardment of negative energy. At least mm. you didn't have that in your space as well over and above. There's one way of looking at it. It's positive in the sense that I don't think you can get away with as much. So you would have all these like record label people, industry people that could get away with more back in the day, I think. Right. But now you can't. We have more of an understanding of what's acceptable and what you can ask younger artists to do. And, for instance, before, if, if I they said, wear this, I didn't really have much of a choice. Oh, okay. Somebody might say, you know, if you don't wear this, then we won't release your album or something like that. Other, You know, if other people hear these things, you, you can't get away with it. They'll yeah. call you out. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's positive. And the, the negative thing is, like, just you're just constantly people just want content all the time yeah. all the time <laughs> so it's like you have to have a presence on social media you have to if so if you're like an introvert i think it's harder now yeah. I, i'm totally with you like i'm just giggling because before i was doing celebs event i was not on social media at all so i'm loud and i'm energetic <laughs> but i'm also like a bit of an introvert it's hard because you want to like it's hard to know i always find that balance like oh i don't really know what to share well, should I should I share that, or am I sharing too much, yeah. or is too little? You know, I still don't have like the perfect balance. Yes, or that figured out yet. It's just it's kind of a learning curve for me, in a way. I love this game. I recognize if I had to ask you this question in three minutes, three hours, three days, three months, I know your answer will be different every time, and I appreciate that yeah. and I understand that. I'm not necessarily saying favorite. But if you had to push play to five songs by other artists, once we were finished this conversation, what would those five songs be and by whom? First one would probably be maybe Moon Shadow by Cat Stevens, okay, Use of yeah. Islam. Two would be Game of Love, which is um, Tina Turner. I, she was Ike and Tina Turner. Three would be probably Janis Joplin, a track called Move Over. Mm -hmm. Four would be Jealous Guy, uh, John Lennon. Mm -hmm. And five, probably um, a track called Change by Big Thief. Oh, it would change if I was to think about it more. But. Exactly. But, but that's what I love about it because it's like putting you guys on the spot. And I know there are thousands of them. And if someone, if you had to ask me that question, I would be like, okay, these were these five. But like five minutes later, it'll be another five and so on and so forth. So I, I appreciate that. And it also allows us, the listening audience, to like learn about different songs that we might not necessarily know to add to our playlist. So that's what I love mm. about this game. <laughs> the podcast is listened to throughout the world. So as a final message to the listening audience, what would you like to say? Oh, um, thank you for listening. And um, yeah, come and speaking about social media, come and follow me on, <laughs> um, I guess Instagram's my favorite one. 
Um, and I, that's when I'll be sharing where my new music is um, coming out. Um, and I also do a few kind of, um, you know, live, interesting live chats on there in a series called Chilling with Chill Me. And I've um, kind of had chats with hypnotherapists, um, an astrologer, uh, another actor friend, and um, they're just like really relaxed chats. But yeah, come join me there.